0: Welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast.
1: I'm Rietta. and I'm Connie, and today we are here with Bobby Hedglin Taylor. So, Bobby, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you deal when shit gets real.
2: <laughs> oh man, well the shit get my entire life is about the shit getting real. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that's a it's a perfect topic. So, by trade, I was a professional trapeze artist. Started out as a uh, dancer in the 80s, became a circus trapeze artist shortly thereafter, toured the country in musicals and circus, and moved. I've been in New York since the 80s as well. And then eventually started combining circus and aerial and theater together. And then I became what's called an aerial and circus sequence designer. So I designed aerial sequences for musicals, shows, rock concerts. That
1: sounds amazing.
2: It's really fun. (laughs) It I, does. Actually, it. It. I worked with the band fish. I don't know if you've heard of fish, but yeah. I worked with them at Madison square garden twice. Uh, I flew to the roof of Madison square garden uh, at 75 feet in the air at the fish concerts. So that was really uh, so like a, cool. Um, the be- we, we all have the, ha- the, all of there's 18 people that were in that group. We have the hashtag best gig ever. And it still is like <laughs> the top, the top of my list of like the most incredible gigs of my life. And then I got to work on Broadway by training actors to do circus aerial skills. I trained a couple of actors to play Charlie Chaplin. Uh, one is Rob McClure to uh, walk a tightrope because Charlie Chaplin did an entire sh- film about the circus. And he learned to walk a tightrope in like a week. And for this wow. film, for this one film. So, yeah. So And then I trained Andrea Martin and Tova Feldschuh and Patina Miller for the musical Pippin. And I taught them all trapeze. And that's what I do now. I'm still, I just came back from a site visit for a theater that we're putting up a new musical in January that's possibly coming to Broadway next year. So that's the kind of stuff I do. Plus I train, I have regular students who are just looking for recreational activity alternative to the gym. The other spin was during COVID, I lost my mom. She was one of the first people to die during the, the beginning of the pandemic. The next day the, after she died, I caught COVID. So I was stuck. We were all stuck in quarantine. So like I, like I was mentioning to you in our pre, pre-interview, nobody really has a trapeze in their living room. What else can I do but write? And I had no access to therapy. So I started to write about my mom and I wrote about family. So I wrote two books over the course of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then um, just as the pandemic ended and we started to reopen New York City, my doctor said, well, it's time for you to get hip replacement. And I'm like, ah, Ooh, oh man. Got real so, Oh no. <laughs> so I am 3 months today, 3 months from my surgery date. So I'm doing great, no pain. It's the most incredible feeling ever. Um I awesome so not have to walk with a cane. You oh know, my I'm God, only in yeah. my 50s. I'm not like a rickety old man, but I was <laughs> right. looking like one. You know, so now I can exercise and stuff. And uh yeah, and so through all the pandemic, I also was able to entertain. I do a lot of Stand up comedy, and I also do a lot of impressions, and I do impression singing and things like that. So and cool! I was paid to do that during the pandemic, so it got me a chance to be a different type of an artist. So the shit got real. So I put, I just, you know, pivoted. Changed, thought, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you have no choice but to pivot; otherwise, you're gonna just sit watching Netflix. <laughs> fat. And that's pretty much what I was doing: was watching Netflix, Netflix, getting fat. And then I just started to say. this is not me. This is not who I am. Yes. I'm, I'm, we're in quarantine, but what what can I do that's artistic? And then I started Mm -hmm. to write and I started, and before my mother passed, she was going back and forth to the emergency room and she was living in a nursing home. So I would go sit with her when she was in the, in the ER because she had dementia. She didn't really know what was going on sometimes, but she knew me and she was comfortable with me. So she would cooperate with the nurses and doctors, and I could at least be there to advocate for her.
0: We understand dementia. Our, our grandfather had dementia pretty bad. So we understand how difficult that can be.
2: Oh yeah. And um, so she started to tell stories and it wasn't that they were, and they, and I, t- I checked the stories out with other relatives. I was like, did mom actually tell you this story? Was I really conceived on a beaver dam? You know, you know, <laughs> and they're like, Nope, your mom told me that story. And I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> So I I was there with her and she would sort of rattle these stories off. And I had my computer with me because I was still, we were still working during that time period and it was before the pandemic. So I would write down, I'd take notes and then I would start to expand on the story and and, and just started to write it. But it didn't really, I I didn't really know what it was about until after she passed. And then it was just like, this is the greatest gift that she's given me is the gift of laughter. And it was her way of coping with every uh, situation was that she, she was a funny lady and she made people laugh in order to cope with whatever situation they were going in. And then I, you know, as I li- li- looked back at my memories from when I was a kid, you know, my mother would be the one poking us in the ribs in church, trying to get us to laugh. And then, <laughs> when, when we're like, mom, stop it. You know, you're going to get in trouble. We're going to get thrown out of church, you know, but <laughs> that was who she was. And that's what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to capture you know, so the, 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 the first book that I, that I uh, just published is called Shit My Mama Says. And I love that title. Yeah. It's an, uh, it's actually documentary filmmaker of sorts with my mom because I was sitting there and I would videotape her because I knew it was the end. I knew it was like, I'm yeah. not going to be here mm-hmm. forever. I thought we would have more time together when she, when she first went into the hospital and uh, and then, you know, she came home from the from the hospital she was at the nursing home when she passed so I thought well she's bouncing back all the time so I was like oh I'm gonna have more time and then it was you know we get how old was she uh she would have been well at the time she was 82 but she will be uh August 7th is her birthday so um, I'm doing my book launch on August 7th uh, oh. as, a, as, a, as a memento and sort of like an honor to her. I um, love that. It's, yeah, it's the best way to. Her actual funeral is August 14th because we didn't have a chance to have a funeral for. Yeah, for her. Oh we, gosh, we lost. Um, we lost six relatives during the pandemic. Oh my god! So it was my mother and her sister and my other aunt's uh, husband. So we are interring, uh, interring my mom's ashes next to my dad in Pennsylvania on August 14th. Yeah, so finally the family will get together. We'll have a you know Italian feast because we're all, you know, an Italian family. What do you do? You eat. We, mm-hmm. Food is part. And the second book that I wrote during the pandemic is a cookbook. And it's actually, I compiled not just the stories about my mom, but stories about growing up with my grandmother. My grandmother was a very Sicilian, little tiny Italian lady. Always oh. had a sweater and a black skirt, just in case a funeral was in town. You know, so <laughs> you know, she she was just like this little Spitfire. And I lived with her during in the seventies, so I learned all about cooking, cleaning, sewing, and making pasta. Love it. And so That's all awesome. of those stories came back, and you know, and I began to compile the recipes, and then in the process, I made up my own versions of the recipe, and then when I found that other people in my life have different dietary needs, I was like, well, what if I give this book to my cousin, Kara, she's a vegan, she can't have Mm -hmm. my bolognese. So Mm -hmm. I made a bolognese, vegan bolognese. So I, every recipe that contains meat has a gluten-free option, a vegan option and a vegetarian option. So people can Ah, That's awesome. So there's like a the base it. recipe and then you pick and choose your, your poison, you know? So I, go, I love and, it. You know, I'll stick with the bacon and the pancetta, but you know, if you want to- <laughs> Same. it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about family and, and and the memories that came back were, were just magic. And they really, you know, the story, my first words, that story made me laugh the most. Cause my first words were fucking reindeer. Those were my <laughs> first words. And I remember my mother telling me the story and I was like, I've got to put this in the book somewhere. I've got to. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. You absolutely have to include that. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, in in the process, that was, that was how the both books came about and I'm shit. My mama says I had to get published first because I want to put one of my books in my mother's asphalt for, you know, so that got to be sweet. I'm not, you know, and it's not the, the memorial service is not about me. It's not about my book. It's about my mom. And it's about her Mm -hmm. sisters. And so I, I want to just like, you know, that's my, my gift to her and, um, and sharing her with everybody because she was a very funny person.
0: That's you can't do a better gift than that. Honestly.
2: Yep. I encourage people to write, write whatever you can, whenever you can, um, use your phone, use auto dictation on your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote a lot of my books on my phone because the story was coming, but I couldn't, type fast enough Mm. and you have to remember though that autocorrect has a A problem yeah someone calls it autocock ain't that (laughs) the truth for the one story a good friend of mine um we were we were actually tweeting on twitter back and forth and she was asking she was like i'm um, i'm in my 60s i want to do a broadway musical i want to do a musical again i haven't done musicals in a while there's what's 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 something that's age-appropriate so I sent her a tweet and I said, well, look at the musical ballroom. It's about a middle aged woman who, who loses her husband and finds romance in a ballroom. And I said, it's right in your vocal range. You can dance it. You're a good dancer. And then she, her response was, Oh my God. What a coincidence. I have that scrotum on my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Are you sure? <laughs> Usually we don't leave do those you? out. You know, do you want to put it in the refrigerator? You know, it goes stale and get vinegary. Uh, you know, she obviously she meant script. The one thing that's really funny is that whenever autocorrect jumps in, that's why I call it autocock is because she had had to have written the word scrotum in her phone several times for it to autocorrect script. <laughs> <a saying>. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Your cookbook just reminds me, like, we had a um, an episode where we talked about, like, our grandmother's uh, recipes and stuff. And it's something that we should eventually do because she is also, like your mom, a spitfire, a little hellion on wheels at the age of 91. Yeah. She's still like, eh, I don't
2: care. Like, I'll do what I want. Like, please. <laughs> your grandmother's Eric Cartman. I do what I want basically (laughs) she really is
0: she also went to vegas she also went to florida twice like she's just been everywhere
2: you know i i i applaud the people that 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 were able to get out and get around it was it was just like you know i i was talking to a friend in indiana and she lives pretty remotely in indiana and she was like we have zero cases here i don't know what's going on what you're talking about i was like Mm -hmm. there was a fucking a a, a fire, you know, the, the, the ambulance is going past my house every 20 minutes from March to June of 2020. Mm -hmm. I live on a thoroughfare goes towards the hospital and the the funeral home on the corner had a refrigerator truck. Never Mm -hmm. had that before. Never watched a forklift lift a body into, you know, or anything like that. So I was hit, you know, we were hit pretty hard. And that's what I was saying to you before that. I really feel that even if you weren't, even if you weren't hit hard, that's still six hundred thousand families that were suffering. Oh yeah. And yeah. that is a that you know, there's definitely going to be a heavy PTSD um, oh, yeah. cycle. You know, that and, and that's why I like I said, that's why I started to write because writing became therapy. And yeah. I figured, well, I can't you know, not working, not gonna have access to therapy right now, can't afford it. But yeah, what, I, what can I do for myself? Interview yeah And her. I
1: I think our grandma you know, was just like your- psh- I'm 91. If this takes me fine. Yeah. Like that's literally her attitude was just like, nah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. If that happens, I'm okay with it. Yeah, So she's lived like, a good, she's it was lived just a good life. her. Yeah.
0: yeah. She's lived a good life. She's okay with it. Yeah. But don't you yeah. think
2: so that some people that have that kind of an attitude in general are the people that survive this kind of a thing because oh, yeah. Their, yeah. their immune system is listening. You know, like their their immune system's like, well, fuck it, I'm, you know, I can buy, I can, I wish I had that attitude when I caught COVID because I was sick for for almost two months. Oh my goodness, horrible. Yeah, I was almost hospitalized, and um, I don't, you know, like there there's not enough that's said in the in the um, uh, in the world about your immune system. Mm -hmm. And after Mom passed, of course, we all have Facebook, so of course that was the way we were communicating. And I was vague booking because I did not want to say I have COVID, you know, and to make everybody nervous and, and, and and worry and whatever, but also I wasn't sure what was going on in our government and things like that in the city. You know, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to let anybody know anything until I was absolutely certain I was fine. And if I was going to be hospitalized, then I was going to say, but my friend Phoenix, she's like, something's up. You're not, you're not. You're not. You're not yourself. I know your mom just passed, but something's different. I said, "Yeah, I, I I'm, I have, I have COVID. I've been sick for about two weeks now, and I'm not getting any better." And she yeah. said, what's your, "What's your mailing address?" And the next morning, a box comes, and it is filled with these herbal remedies that boost your immune system. I love and it. In three days of Taking those, one is called fire cider. Another one is an. an there's a. a it, literally, it was like it was the like fire cider. Cider
1: sounds
2: delicious. It actually is not. It tastes oh,
1: delicious. it's so, um, like it <laughs> sounds like some like spicy cider. Like I could get down with spicy cider, like, with spicy cider if that's going to help well, my immune system. I'm with, just saying. You mix it
2: with juice. You can mix it with apple juice, and it does taste much better. But it has oh. got like garlic horseradish. Yeah. That's so, not what I was thinking that was in that apple no. cider vinegar. I mean, it, but, but it's, yeah, it, but all my the immune things. system started to kick everything out. Yeah, And then I started to get better. And mm-hmm. within about two, two to three more weeks after starting those herbs, I finally no more fevers, no more headaches, uh, no more nausea, no more chills, you know, that, that it, it, no more body aches. So it actually, I, I, whether it was a placebo or if the virus was on its way out already, yeah, something, something in that worked. And yeah. You know um, so, yeah. So when I got that and I was like, okay, this seems to help me. So when people would post on Facebook that they had, that they had COVID, I would send them, The $40 immunity booster from this farm in upstate New York. And they all get it and they're like, this tastes horrible. I said, mix it with apple juice. You'll be fine. And (laughs) (laughs) and they were like, Oh, much better. And they all survived. They all got better. They all started to have a better, a better response. Yeah. It is. And I just feel like, you know, we've all, we've all heard those, you know, everybody was like, Oh, vitamin C, vitamin D. That's all they can do. Take Tylenol. And then, you know, what are you doing to, to, trigger your immune system to sort of fight this thing so but no but yeah. like listening to your story about your grandma i'm like interview her put her on your show talk about we've the talked about that actually you know, we have her, yeah ask her and just tell her you she's know,
0: very low tech so we would yeah. have to figure something you'd have to go over there and like do it at her yeah, house with her or we would so both
1: awesome. have to be there and just record it yeah all, that, all yeah. three of us we'd have to oh. sit
2: down that's the thing that like when I was sitting with mom in the nursing home, it's like I, I whenever I w- would visit her, we would talk anyway. And she would just sort of, you know, go into her stories and things like that. But they were never the same story twice. She always was mm-hmm. like there. And so it was almost as if she was dictating the book to me. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So like her catchy That's little awesome. pithy sayings are, are all in that book. And um, and it's designed to let people to give people a chuckle. You know, when you're de- you know, yeah. like when you deal with someone who's dealing with dementia you know, they say some fucked up shit. Oh, they yeah. Do. They, you know, they do. They do. Oh, yeah. They also do some fucked up shit, too. So.
0: I will never forget, not too long after our grandpa got diagnosed, I went home for Christmas and we were sitting down at the table and I sat next to my grandpa and he goes, you're the prettiest thing I've seen in a long time. And my grandma goes, "Ferdinand, <laughs> oh. that's your granddaughter. And I'm like, grandma, it's fine. <laughs> he doesn't know. Let him be.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When my aunt Elsie was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, She called me Andrew and she was like, Andrew, will you tell that kid to stop running around the table? Meanwhile, there's no kids in the building. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll be right at it. You know, Charlie, stop it. You know, (laughs) so we were just like, sure Have to humor them because Mm -hmm. when you, the thing that I found that was the hardest is when you question their reality or when you bring them to reality, it shakes them in such a way that is, it's very sad. Because yeah. they realize that the person that they're talking about is either gone or, you know, they don't have their home anymore or, you know, somewhere yeah. in their thought process, they forgot that this person was was gone. So you're like, oh, you know, grandma's working late tonight. She's still at the restaurant, you know, and that was the that was the thing. Whatever she would talk about my grandma. I'd be like, oh, no, she's still at the restaurant, mom. She'll come and visit you next week. Don't you remember her visiting last week? No, I don't. Oh, she was here last week, you know. The thing that I say in the book is it would be smiles and laughs until the elevator door closed because that's when I would lose it because yep, I would yep. be holding on so quickly. So, so, you know, so, so much so to keep that brave face because you just don't want to upset them. They're already yeah. in, they're in a, she's already, she was in a nursing home. Now I me mean, granted, it was not a bad place. It just wasn't home. You know, right. she f- it felt like a hospital to her. And she felt like that she she wanted to go home most of the time. And yeah. I would be like, you know, uh, you'll come home soon, you know. And, and then yeah. I was like, Ugh. you that's know. That's why I so- told
0: grandma when she was trying to be like, Bert, and that's your grand." I'm like, leave him alone. It's fine. If he thinks he's 18 and in the Navy again, let him be 18 right. and in the Navy again. It's okay. Right. So with the cookbook, where exactly did the name come from? And what is your favorite recipe
2: out of that cookbook? Oh, good question. So, yes, I was born in an Italian family on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. Early in the 1940s, my great-grandfather and my grandfather bought a plot of land. And my great-grandfather had 13 children. My grandmother was the eldest of 13. He, uh, they bought the other plots of land around my great-grandfather. So the entire top of this mountain, it was all relatives. And so it got the derogatory nickname of ravioli mountain because everyone was related and everyone was Italian. So, um, and only, only going back to escaping to ravioli mountain, uh, did I realize that I'm going to recapture that derogatory term and turn it around and make it a fun, uh, fun thing, because that's where I learned how to make ravioli. That's where I learned how to make all that pasta. My favorite recipe, um, was learning how to make gnocchi with my grandmother, and uh with a lemon butter sauce it was the simplest thing Mm. ever she had two ways of making her gnocchi now when 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 she had guests coming over she would actually boil potatoes mash the potatoes and do the recipe by the book with potatoes when it was just her and i she would take potato flakes and you know like regular instant mashed potatoes and then throw them into the to the to the uh to the flour now For me personally, I like the one with the instant mashed potatoes so much better because it makes these light, puffy uh, gnocchi. And then the lemon butter sauce is nothing more than garlic, capers, basil, white wine and butter. Lots of butter. And that would be like the best thing. And it would be done 15, 20 minutes and dinner was on the table. But that was the one that I always was enamored with. But so with the book being called that, uh, Um, I grew up in a very you know, very uh, weird environment because everyone around me was related. So like my grandmother was on the left, my uncle Billy was on the right, uncle Frankie was across the street, great grandpa was across the street. So it was like, I never had a neighbor that wasn't a relative until I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And so being in that insular, like Italian Iannis port, you know, for, for lack of better terms, it was very insular because we looked out for each other. We shared recipes, we shared food, you know, the funny, the funniest thing was everybody had, you know, everybody hunted deer up there, um, bec- mostly because it would subsidize your meals for the winter. You could get yep. a deer, and then you would have meat for the winter. So we would hear, we de- would hear, a- we would hear gunshots. Then all the lights would black out across the street. The phone would ring, and it would be my uncle Frankie, and it would be, he called my grandmother, Franny. I just got an eight-point buck. What do you want? You want the hind quarter? You want the shoulder? And then within like a day, this big chunk of deer in white butcher paper would come and my grandmother would, you know, slice it up into portions and put it in the freezer. But Mm -hmm. that's the way that they, we lived on the, on the hill. You know, it was, it was, it was, yes, highly dysfunctional. We're Italian. There's, you know, if I, if I, if I put my hands behind my back, I can't talk, you know, so it's like (laughs) highly dysfunctional, but. But still, everything was rooted in love, you know. Um, I used to love to climb trees, and my Aunt Shirley used to rat me out every time because I'd be climbing uh, the oak tree in the front of our house, and I'd be at the top of the tree, and I would fall asleep. And I would be asleep in the tree. And she would call my mother, and she's like, he's going to fall and break his neck. Get him out of that fucking tree. You know, so all these all these stories, <laughs> you know, when you, when, when you lose someone close to you, you start to, comp- you know, the memories just flood you. And I would yeah. be up late at night and I'd be like ready to go to bed and I'm like my first words were fucking reindeer I gotta write that story you know and I would (laughs) tell the story you know I'd be writing the story about how my my first words were Christmas in the 60s saying fucking reindeer you know so (laughs) that recipe and then um the fact that there's so many diets, dietary restrictions nowadays. Um, I run a trapeze school and I invite my staff over every now and then to have dinner. And some people are dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian. So each of the recipes that contain meat, I added um, vegetarian options, vegan options, and pescatarian options so that people can make their own Concoction that tastes similar to the bolognese or to yeah. the you know, that kind of thing. Um, even my vegan puttanesca people are raving about no and anch- has no anchovies in it, but it tastes just like putanesca sauce. So, so you know, awesome. and ironically, my grandmother's best sauce is putanesca, which literally means of the putana, the woman of the night. Uh, basically, the, the hookers were called putanas. <laughs> so putanesca is is the sauce of the puta. <laughs> which,
0: also, which also makes sense because, you know, Spanish and Italian are close and, you know, right. puta and Spanish. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: Oh my God. It just reminded me of a story. When I moved to New York, I, my first apartment was a whorehouse previous before I moved. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is an old New York story. So 41st and 9th Avenue is one of those, it was like Beirut in the, 80, in the 1980s. The doorbell would ring all night long and we would, and, and then, uh, we, you know, I go to the buzzer and hello, puta, puta. Like there's no fucking puta here. You know, so <laughs> I even ran down in my bathrobe, naked, and I opened it. Said, Does this look like puta to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know, stop so ringing my doorbell. Exactly, ringing. You know, but that was the funny part when we when we found that apartment. The landlord was like, he he hadn't had the building for almost eight years because the building was confiscated because it was previously a whorehouse. He had rented it to a madam. That was in New York. That was the eighties, you know, but then when Mm -hmm. they, you know, when they did away, when they figured out these illegal places were there, they raided them, shut them down, you know, but then he was, he got the, uh, he got the, um, uh, the building back and then renovated and became an apartment. So I'm like, that was one of my first apartments in New York, but yeah, but that's, you know, that's, that's again grandma of all people has the best puttanesca sauce so of course of course yeah so
0: going back to your trapeze how did you get started in trapeze i i can't like maybe as a little kid i could imagine being like oh trapeze would be fun but i wouldn't like how did how did you end up there
2: it's very strange how it happened yeah and as a career too First of all, I came to New York as a dancer and as a, an acrobat, not as an acrobat, but as a dancer and as an actor. And um, my specialty was ballroom dance. So um, all through the 80s, I was working at a, a restaurant very popular in the 80s called Mama Leone's, and an, an Italian restaurant. And so my ballroom dance partner and I would drive from Pennsylvania. We would dance in the restaurant to get people up to dance because they had an orchestra. And so we, I think we made 50 bucks a, a week. And we would we would split that and then we'd get tips. And the little old ladies were always pinching my butt. So love it. So that was how I got. And I always wanted to be in New York. We've been coming to New York since the 70s. And even I have relatives here, family in Brooklyn. You know, so I've the city was always part of my collective unconscious and I always wanted to end up here. Um, so then I, st- I started doing theater, mostly um, professional theater in the 80s, national tours, mostly Broadway musical type uh, shows that were uh, going out. I did one cruise ship and found that I was seasick all the time and couldn't finish the cruise ship, <laughs> um, you know, because that, that that wasn't for me. Um, and then a friend I had been started bartending in between gigs. So a friend that I befriended was an old Broadway performer and he was writing a new musical and it was a circus version of a circus musical called the circus adventures of Toby Tyler. And he was like, you're perfect for it. You have the right voice. You have the right build. You have the right look. Do you have any circus skills? And I was like, no, <laughs> <So> <laughs> I didn't even know how to juggle at that point. So they found the only coach in New York city who would take us on. And so with um, me and my understudy that started and, within six weeks I was really jazzing I really loved it and it was just a new way to dance and it was just freeing because I wasn't never afraid of heights obviously I would climb trees and fall asleep in a tree you know as a kid so for me it was just like like home it was natural yeah and then the show did not happen because the investors pulled out they oh something else yeah but Pivot. Life gives you. Life gives yeah. you lemons. Don't make lemonade. Make my grandmother's lemon tiramisu with lemon cello. You know, really, that you get a chance to. You get a chance to reinvent yourself. So I got a job working at a nightclub doing trapeze over the dance floor. That's and fun. So I became. There were five, six people that were only the aerial acrobats in New York at the time. It Was me and five ladies. Now they were <laughs> the most sought after that's just normal in the nightclub scene. You know, that's just it, it, at the time, go-go dancers were women. You wouldn't yeah. see a lot of guys in the air, but when they were busy doing, there were so many nightclubs, they would all get thrown around. And sometimes we'd have to jump from nightclub to nightclub and do two, two, three sets a night. Mm-hmm. But the t- I had to wait my turn, but I would eventually get, get a performing gig in the nightclubs. So I had that opportunity and I had that chance to sort of perform every week, like every week I make my rent in one week, you know, you never, you, you would never be able to do that in any other time period. Um, but yeah, I would be able to come home with almost $1,500 in my pocket for one week's worth of work. And that would repeat itself over and over again. And then as the ladies got better and I got better, we got jobs outside of the city doing smaller shows. I did a tour of a magic show. I did a show in Vegas. I worked at, uh, in a casino You know, so we got plunked out. And and then for the summers when we weren't performing, we would do circus camps. People would hire us and really pay us well to teach aerials, tightrope, juggling, clowning, and all the stuff that we were already doing in our professional life. We would get paid really well to teach kids over the summer. So that started a whole other industry. Um, And then it wasn't until I was, I had moved to San Francisco because they had the best circus school in the country at the time. And it's still phenomenal circus school. Um, I highly recommend the the circus center. Um, I started training there and then grandma got sick and I decided to move back to New York and grandma passed. And then I started to just sort of retire from the circus world. I was, Kind of done with it. I was sort of frustrated that I wasn't going further. I would always lose out on certain jobs because I wasn't in a circus family, which is a whole other issue. Um, <laughs> when you're not in a circus family back then, it was not always treat. You weren't always treated well because you were Aww. considered taking a job away from somebody who had had been a doing family for generations. So I totally gotcha. understand that. But it, you know, I needed a gig. I found a gig. You know, to you know. So it, I, I also felt that. Um, I was ready to pivot. I was ready to do something new and I didn't know what it was. And so I started coaching kids gymnastics and that was sort of like the, it was right before nine 11. That was right around that time period. So I got really good at kids gymna- as coaching kids gymnastics and recreational gymnastics. I, I was never a gymnast. I was taught how to tumble by the Mongolian uh, uh, horse riders that I had toured with, the women were fascinated. They'd never seen a man with red hair. They'd only seen dyed hair. They never saw someone like me, so they were always like, "Just like you know, ooh, redhead." And so they taught me how to tumble into a bale of hay. There was all this hay that we would tumble on, and so I learned basic tumbling, like backyard tumbling. And then mm-hmm. I, and then when I came to New York, and there wasn't a lot of circus going on, other things were happening. I started coaching gymnastics, and then. I think it was around 2003, I was asked to do a musical that involved circus. And I was not only going to be in the show, I was going to be the swing. I was going to be the circus, uh, circus coach. And I was going to be the understudy for the lead. So I had all of these things come into one show and it was the musical Barnum. And I had, and basically the musical Barnum tells PT Barnum's life through a circus. So you, it's song and dance but like there's one point where P.T. Barnum left his wife for the opera singer Jenny Lind. And how do you do it theatrically instead of having him just leave? He has to walk a tightrope from his wife to his mistress at the end <laughs> of Act One. So I had to do that and I had to teach that as well. So um, that started to really get my theatrical brain moving again. And I did several productions of Barnum, several productions that in, uh, other shows that involved putting aerial stuff into the show. And then before you know it, I became a circus and aerial sequence designer. And that's what I do um, in theater, Broadway shows, national tours, cruise ships, rock concerts. Like I said, i one of the few people who've touched the roof of Madison Square Garden at a fish concert. Um, you know, so that cool. kind of stuff just sort of came to me all at once. and um, And I, you know, I learned a lot about what that is. When you're reading a play or a book. The story, you turn a page and there's another there's another part of the story there in words. But on stage, you have to do it in movement. You have to do it in music. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to do it in the air. So just to give you an example, like I learned from one of my dear friends, Paul Rubin. Uh, he's called the fly guy. He's the guy who designed the flying for the musical Wicked. He's done like 20 Broadway shows where he is the guy who visionary. But the musical Tarzan tells a story in one of the songs called Son of Man, where the young Tarzan has to grow up to be the young man Tarzan. How do you do that? You have baby Tarzan swing across the stage. And then in the back of the house, you have big Tarzan swing down to the stage and you've just turned Mm -hmm. the page. So you've used the aerial sequence to tell the story. And that's what we both jived on. We both love doing that kind of stuff. We work together a lot. In fact, yeah. we're working on a new musical that's coming to Broadway next year. It's called Super You, and it's about Ooh. female superheroes. And we're doing a cool con- conceptual design of it where there's circus and there's flying because they're superheroes. They got to fly. They have to. And then some yeah, really honestly. cool fight sequences. We have a phenomenal team. It's a really great rock musical by Lords Lane. And they have a huge TikTok following, and, uh, and Instagram following because they've been releasing part the music of the show and people are really getting into it because it's beautiful. And yeah. so I'm excited to do that. And that's the kind of stuff that really gets me. It's not work. Like I could do, I could be in a theater doing that kind of work all day long and not get tired, not even think about sleeping. Um, cause it's so, it's just exciting. It's passionate. Has so that your hip
0: replacements up- affected your trapeze at all? Are you still able to Say do that. it with your hip I'm, oh, your hip, hip replacement, replacement trapeze. Good question.
2: Yeah. In theory, no. Um, in theory, I won't be able to work at the intensity that I'm used to. Okay. Um, in theory, the G forces from flying trapeze and swinging trapeze will pull the joint out. Um, it's not recommended. Ouch. Um, but I still could do small things. I can do aerial fabric and aerial rope. I can still climb. I have just, be- I've just been approved to play racquetball. Uh, Woo-hoo. I've been approved to swim and, um, uh, bike ride. So this is only three months that since my surgery. So yeah. Yeah, really I'm farther ahead than most people. My doctor was was like, you're so strong in general that he li- he literally had, he broke a sweat in the operating room trying to get my hip out because it was wow. just like, I'm yeah. like solid. I, I mean, I have muscle. That's what I do. Yeah. My, I mean, I've worked with a,
0: A lot of people that have had hip replacements, because I used to work in the PT world, but I've never had a trapeze artist. So like, I didn't know if that was a thing you could do again or not.
2: Well, this is the thing, my email address, and it's, I don't mind saying it, but my email address is why walk when you can fly. And that's also like my tagline for everything. Because um, 9-11 happened and I had horrible PTSD and a friend made me a CD of uplifting songs. And the very first song was why walk when you can fly by Mary Chapin Carpenter. And I put it in a CD alarm clock. And every day that first song woke me up and it got me thinking, you know, why walk when you can fly. And now, you, go. gonna, you know, now I have to think, well, oh, why, why fly when you can walk, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, um, you know, um, it's a pivot. I I, yeah. I don't know. I, I I didn't do any aerial stuff for an entire year and a half. There wasn't access to it, nor was my body able to. I could barely yeah. walk to the supermarket. You know, now that I'm on the other side of it, it's like I can dance again. I can tap dance again. Things that I haven't done in years. But That's I can good, still though. design in circus. I can still teach. Yeah. I can still coach. Yeah. I can still spot with my upper body. So I'm not dead yet, you know, you know, but, <laughs> but there, there there are other things you can do in the circus. And then like another thing, another joy that came up during the pandemic was, um, well, it happened years before the pandemic. But I love stand up comedy and I love impressions. And so I'd started doing singing impressions. I got really good at it and started doing open mics. And then eventually got paid to do stand up. And and during the pandemic, can't I did, I did a bunch of Zoom hosting events where I was you know, I was the host and, and had to, you know, just be like the Joan Rivers of the, of the night. Yeah. My
1: company hires those too. Like, because we can't, because we can't (laughs) go out and do our team meetings. And like, normally we like have like lunch and stuff and whatever, and it's bonding. So, well, how do you do it over zoom is basically we did like, you know, family feud and they would hire hosts to Mm -hmm. be like fun and whatever.
2: I just did um, a podcast last Friday night. Um, it's called Your Backup Plan. And oh. it was a mimic of the Hollywood Squares. If you've ever watched Hollywood Squares in the yeah. 1970s, it was a game show. But the center square was always a stand-up comic or a, a very funny person. So it was either Paul Lynde, Bruce Valanche, uh, there were always like these characters, Phyllis Diller for a while, you know, so there were all these characters. So she, the, 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 Tina, the host of asked me to be like the Paul Lind character. So it's I on YouTube. It. You can check it out. It's the, your backup plan. And, <laughs> so cool. Um, and, and so we, she interviewed, there were nine of us that were in her podcast. She was celebrating her first year. So she did like this relaunch and gave everybody sort of a platform to be, you know, be entertained. And, really cool. Uh, so it was really fun. So and yeah, that you know, who knows what that's gonna what that's gonna bring, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, and absolutely. I did a couple of voiceovers I recorded in my bedroom, and you know, we all have uh, we all have the use of Zoom. I can talk to somebody in Hawaii and somebody in Canada <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, you know? and uh, yeah. so it's it's about using utilize. You know, God gives you lemons, make lemoncello tiramisu. Don't just make lemonade. Don't be a boring old
1: shit. (laughs) (laughs) So what has your favorite thing that you have ever done on like on Broadway out of all of the careers that you've done? What has been like your absolute
2: favorite? I have I have two. I mean, obviously, Uh the Fish concert, which I just talked about, which you can see on YouTube. uh, 2011 and 2018, the songs were Down With Disease. And the second year was Mercury. And though, though the, the stepping on stage at Madison Square Garden, where I saw my first concert, my very first concert, I was in the audience seeing the Village People in 1979 in that very venue. And here I am on the stage where I saw my first concert. So that was just like mind blowing. <laughs> the second was working on Broadway uh, with uh, the actress Andrea Martin from the musical Pippin. Now, Andrea Martin's a comedian. You know her from my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, yeah. You don't eat meat, I'll make lamb. That's Andrea. I love love her. Andrea won won the role as Bertha, the grandmother. And so she was 64 or 65 at the time when I trained her to do trapeze. She walked into my studio. We sat on the mats for an hour and a half, almost two hours, reading the lyrics And how she wanted this song to be a flashback. And you can see this on YouTube as well. Um, it's called Just No Time at All. And in the middle of the song, she takes off her robe and she's wearing a, a beautiful circus costume and she gets up on a double trapeze and still singing, does a double trapeze act in the middle of her number. Oh my gosh. The house down, you know, instant standing ovations every single night. She won a Tony award for it. And, um, she's so awesome, but the, what, what was so incredible about that experience was when you are, when you're in presence with somebody like that, like I get, I get starstruck. I, you mm-hmm. know, the first time I worked with Liza Minnelli, I don't think she got a chance to talk. I, I, you know, I literally <laughs> sang with her and I was, you know, we, cause I talk really fast cause I really want to get everything out. Cause then she, you know, she's going to be gone and, and and, you know, so with Andrea, it was she was just so down to earth that it became a ping pong match and we were learning about each other. And then I started to get her in the air and teach her stuff. And she came to me for the physical movement, but what she actually taught me was the way that her acting mind works on this song and Mm -hmm. how she masterfully broke it down. And again, she, from start to finish, the second she enters the stage, you are just mesmerized. And it's just, it was, it was a, it was a masterclass. And I didn't even know I was taking a master class. I thought I was being hired to train somebody. She trained me. And, I love it. Um, so yeah, so I, I really, that that in particular, um, that and teaching Rob McClure how to walk a tightrope would be a, t- a, a, a toss-up. He's such an amazing actor and uh, just beautiful voice. Um, he's playing Mrs. Doubtfire in the musical version of Mrs. Doubtfire right now. Okay, I, I just cool. saw an
1: ad for that.
2: Yeah, that's Rob. So I taught him how to walk a tightrope so and, cool uh, and and you know that was my my favorite experience because when i got to see when i got to do chaplin the opening night i opened the playbill and my name was in the playbill now when you're a young actor kid coming from pennsylvania to see a broadway play you open the playbill you read all the credits that these people have and one day you dream of opening a playbill and seeing your name and i opened the playbill and not only did i see my name it's a tightrope trainer and it had my my full bio and I was in seventh heaven because that was really like, I know it's a small thing, but it was, it was such a huge thing for me as, yeah. as, as a kid from Pennsylvania with, you know, in Pennsylvania, my mother just wanted me to get married and work in, in, a, in a factory. That was yeah. Their, they didn't want me to move to New York. None of my family wanted me to move to New York. They didn't, they were like, you're, you know, you'll be back in, we'll be back in a few days, you know, Um, But I had gotten a full scholarship to the American musical and dramatic Academy. And that's where I cut my teeth theatrically. So I kind of had that training, but I loved New York. I love being here. I love the energy of it. And um, so, yeah, that was where I really felt like I was, I had, I had made it, or at least had made it better than the people in college who, who, who I, you know, who, who, who I thought I would never be as good as, Yeah. like everybody else got, lead roles in, in the college musicals. And I ended up, you know, you know, playing the guy sweeping the stage or, you know, have a one line thing. And here I am opening a playbill on Broadway with my name on it. And so even though it wasn't an acting role on Broadway, which can still happen, just, just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, I did get to work with uh, Jerry Mitchell. Um, Jerry Mitchell is a Tony award-winning director, choreographer, and he has a quote and I will never forget it. And it is, Dreams do not have an expiration date, and so when it comes to pivots, my circus career may be over as far as the trapeze in the intensity that I was used to, Mm -hmm. but I can still dance, I can still sing, I can still make people laugh.
1: Well, and you can still do like the choreography, right, of what you're continuing working on and on Broadway
2: that's coming up. Absolutely, absolutely, and that is, you know, that's gold. And it's, it's just, it sets you apart from everybody. Like I just got a call two weeks ago to audition for the Dementors in the ooh. Harry Potter, ooh, the Harry Potter play. And of course I'm, I'm like, I just had hip replacement. I can't wear a harness. I won't be able to, I would not be able to fly, you know, sad, sorry. But then they call me. It is sad. Me, they were, but then I love they Harry me, Potter. <laughs> I do too. But then they call me and they're like, well, would you like to audition for one of the standbys for the ron weasley character and i'm like yes so i'm still waiting so that again that i love that and if if it happens uh, you guys will get tickets right away because i will i will send them oh i want you in the front row but (laughs) that would be
0: awesome we would love that that. would be
2: i don't want to i love harry potter we're not
0: gonna jinx it we're gonna manifest it
2: for you you this is us manifesting it for you manifest manifest manifest
0: (laughs) (laughs) so should we expect any more books from you
2: well, the first book is published. Uh, Ship a Mama Says. It's on Amazon. It's a book of my mother's quotes and a small story about our life together in the last five years. But then uh, Escape to Ravioli Mountain. I am in editing hell right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> here's the thing. I'm not an editor, not a writer, not a chef, but I wrote a cookbook. So when you have those three things against you, you really have to. You're in editing hell we are in it in hell. Um, but I, I, I have a, a great support network during the pandemic. One of my dear friends, um, we got so much closer. She lives literally eight blocks away from my house and she's an author and we, she became a mentor and she's really responsible for me really making my books happen. And, um, you know, I can't, her name's Susie and she has, she's just incredible such an inspiration. And we would have socially distant cocktails in my garage during the pandemic. We would sit six feet apart, open the garage door, and then I make all kinds of infused vodkas and infused alcohols. So every, every Sunday, I would open the garage door and it would be whatever the vodka du jour or whatever the cocktail du jour. I made a delicious pear and grape sangria. I need to become your friend is all (laughs) I have (laughs) to say. Are you kidding? I
1: need to come over. I need to (laughs) to get some cocktails because these all sound amazing. Homemade vodka? Give me some.
2: They're in the book. Infusing alcohol is the easiest thing on the planet. And it only takes five days and a Ziploc bag. Or or a mason jar, you get cheap vodka, whatever's cheap and on sale. You put two cups of vodka and six tablespoons of zest—orange, lemon, grapefruit, whatever—and let it sit for five to seven days. Strain it, and you've got flavored vodka. You can do it with vanilla. You can do it with sounds good. You can do it with chocolate. You can do it with cocoa nibs and peanut butter powder. You can make peanut butter vodka. So I make, these are all in my book. The the cookbook I hope will be out by Christmas. And um, that's my goal.
0: Will there be any more books after the cookbook or are you going to be, since it's editing hell, are you done?
2: (laughs) No, no, because the joy of the writing is still there. Like Mm -hmm. I know I I have a point of view, you know, so I'm not calling myself a writer, but. Uh, I do know that I have a point of view. I have a lot of things to say. I have other other ideas for books. Even the title, Why Fly When You Can Walk, is still sticking in my head. It could be some way to tie in um, my journey from trapeze artist to post-hip replacement and ways that that could be helpful. I have a musical book that I'm working on about... Uh, a love story that happens at burning man you know i love so, it so there's so there's some couple That's of things awesome that are stir- that are stirring around that i'll always be a creative person and somebody in, in a recent yeah. podcast called me the multi-hyphenated artist and I, isn't that the, I, the truth <laughs> i'm so into the, you know, that's
1: a book title that's a good book title yeah, too. the multi-hyphenated title. artist that is your memoir books yeah, yeah. title i'm just yeah. saying
2: <laughs> there is actually a podcast called the multi-hyphenated artist and uh, so oh. I, uh yeah i just found that out too
1: okay so, so you can't take it for oh yeah, no i, I can suppose. do it if i can do
2: it it's not, oh yeah you can if, do it unless it's trademarked you can absolutely yeah, exactly. use it same thing now and now that i own the copyrights for H- ravioli mountain no one can talk about ravioli mountain or and i love the title (laughs) well here's the thing if you write every single day even if it's 10 minutes i even when i was having my roughest times i would just open the open the file and i would look at it and in there was a quote that i learned um i I have to think about it but it was a very important quote that made me think about procrastinating um, because we procrastinate, because we're we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with the idea of editing. So I, you know, I, I I push my book aside sometimes and don't look at it. But what I had to do was really sit down and focus, even ten minutes a day, do one thing a day towards your goal of the book, whether it's one chapter, one recipe, one story. You know, otherwise, it get you get lost in the shuffle, and it be, look you look at it and it's like I I can't even look at it. It's too much. There's mm-hmm. too much for me to do, and I can't. I won't be able to, to achieve that in this. So, I'll, I'll remember the quote, but it's basically that you got to. When you lay that.
0: down in bed tonight to go to sleep, yeah. you'll remember. I'll text
2: you. I'll yeah. text you both at like <laughs> three o'clock in the morning.
0: And uh, I've never been to New York, so now I have more
2: excuses to come to New York. There you go. Exactly. You so, right so, so we can go get drinks with you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or you come to my garage, and we'll and I'll mm-hmm. make you something. Martini is my favorite. Ooh, yeah. I love a yeah, good chocolate martini.
1: Homemade. Yeah. I have one last question. Sure. What advice
2: would you give our listeners? Couple of things. Every single day, find a way to laugh. Because if you're laughing, you're breathing. Breathing brings comfort. It also helps release endorphins. No matter if your heart is breaking, laugh. Find a way to laugh. Watch it, watch stand-up comedy, watch a funny movie. Do something that you know will give you a chuckle and I swear to you, your life will get better. And also, you know, life gives you, life gives you lemons. Don't make lemonade, Lemoncello, tiramisu. And the thing I, 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 one uh, when you, when you work in theater, you get to meet your meet and sometimes work with your heroes. And for me, one of my heroes was Cheetah Rivera. And she's phenomenal, amazing dancer, actress, personality. And she said to me about working in theater, Bobby, don't be in theater because of the money, because there isn't any. Be in it because you love it and because you're willing to put in the work to make your art. And if it turns out that you can make money off of it, great, but do it because you love it. And that's, those, are the, those, are the, the, those are the advice. And also the Jerry Mitchell quote, dreams don't have an expiration date. So if you have a dream and you want to make it happen, manifest it like we were talking about earlier dreams don't have an expiration date
1: yes yeah. so thank you bobby for thank joining for us for having me it's been fun it had a good time fun. it's a Absolutely. good saturday
2: <laughs> yeah and thank you for for waking up so early Rieta, on a, oh a, it's no Hawaii problem time, you know so thank you and thanks for having me and and uh e- you know email me your mailing address and i'll send you guys one of the books Oh, oh, we would love that. Of course. I'll send you, I'll send you shit my mama says. I love <laughs> so, it. Yeah.
1: So this is how to deal when shit gets real. Don't forget a new episode every Friday. Don't forget to rate and review us. And we'll see you guys next time.